Welcome back to the Key in the Lake podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. Hey, this is Jake. I'm out on a little field trip just to the good old Jepson C.H. Malort Distillery over here in Pilsen um, by myself as well. We know co-hosts with me, Wilson, Callum, both abandoned me. But you know what? I get to drink more whiskey and hang out two cool dudes to myself that way. So a win-win for me all the way around. With us today, we have Tremaine and Tyrus from Jepson's Malort. Thanks for having us. Yeah, how's it yeah. going, guys? Good to be here, man. I'm, I'm good to be here, you know? Like, <laughs> thanks for letting me in the doors. You, know, you never know when you pull up to the distillery at 3.30 in the afternoon, two days before Christmas, if anybody's going to let you in. So, Well, um, did we have something better to do? Like uh, Christmas shopping, for example? I actually was uh, doing no. that on the way before I came here. <laughs> Last minute Christmas shopping, which is my, my go-to. I'm like, I haven't bought anything for my wife. I bought too much for my wife this year. I spent way too much money. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, like, cool, cool, cool. Looking at the bank account every time. Like, all right. That's that's money well spent, though. Very well spent, yes. Yep. Yes. She doesn't listen to the podcast. She could care less. <laughs> We're like 160 episodes deep right now. Oh, no. She'll know. <laughs> she will know. She'll figure it out. Somehow I'll get back to her. But uh, no, thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Right on. Yeah. Um, well, let's get into it a little bit before we get into the bourbon itself, which we're here for, for a whiskey podcast. would love to hear more about the foundation of CH, which you created almost 10 years ago now, kind of approaching that way. Yeah. yeah. It, the idea came, well, actually, the idea goes back to uh, about 1990. Oh, um, I should say, Tremaine, you're the founder as well. Yeah, I'm yeah. the. I, I, my, I think my official title is head drinker, but, you know. I saw that somewhere. I think maybe <laughs> Stephanie sent me that somewhere, and I'm like... That's the best title I've ever heard in my the, life. Yeah. You know, uh, getting paid to do this is yeah. ridiculously, yeah. Uh, it's, it's unfair. It's um, fun. Right? Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I um, actually started a brewery in San Francisco in about 1990 God. called North Beach Brewing Company. Oh. And um, our, uh, it was me and two buddies, and we uh, somehow managed to scrape together $5,000. <laughs> Open our brewery uh, in a little warehouse space in, in Hunters Point, and um, for five thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, those yeah. were the times, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're making a you know a pretty actually a pretty decent IPA, which was novel back then. Mm. And um, but uh, our business plan was to make the little six little kegs and then deliver them in the city. And um, so um, we sold one keg to my mom for her book club. Nice. Yes. And then, Things are taking off. Yeah. <laughs> and then that was it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. We ran out of money and nobody had any more money. So it was done. Oh. And um, yeah, so that, that was, uh, 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 that stuck in my head though. So I, you know, we all had corporate jobs, so we did our corporate okay. jobs for many years. And then uh, when I kind of got burned out on being a finance guy, um, about 10 years ago, I, I, I thought, okay, now hmm. it's time to start a brewery. And then I looked around and I said, maybe too many breweries right now. So like 2012-ish? Yeah. yeah, right around 2012. Okay. And I said, but ah, distilleries. Uh, that's, hey, that looks kind of cool. Truly novel at that time. Yeah, that was you know, a, a, a little ahead of the curve. Yeah. And, um, and I love vodka. So I've always been a, a vodka drinker. Um, and so I thought, well, let's make vodka. Hmm. So there it was. That was the. It, it wasn't really much more thinking than, I love vodka and I want to do something in the alcohol business. So not, not not the not the the most sophisticated of thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Depends who you're talking to. Yeah. Well, and as we were chatting about, like you know, you, you set out to make vodka, which we do, and yeah. we make a really lovely vodka. But our business has turned into something else entirely which is wonderful definitely um but so we opened in uh 2013 in downtown chicago we have a beautiful cocktail bar um on randolph street in the west loop and uh, we made everything out of there truly handcrafted vodka made from local rye and wheat uh milled mashed fermented you know the whole the whole thing uh and then as we started kind of expanding into um uh, other things we made you know, several styles of gin and mm. then we really got into liqueurs um, yeah, our version of fernet um, some uh, you know like things like a mexican mole in a bottle which we call a margarita chile <laughs> uh, really interesting stuff but we were never um, good at bourbon uh, or whiskey we tried we made a couple of batches um, early on and we could just tell they sucked <laughs> So our poor. It's good to be humble. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, this business will humble you. Yeah. For sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The market will tell you. Also good to be honest too with yourself. 
I, I think that's that's kind of important. So, we're, yeah. but our 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 head bartender uh, needed a whiskey. She mm. needed something, um, and our license at the time only allowed us to serve what we make. Yeah. So that was how we started getting into sourced bourbon. So we bought some bar- barrels of MGP yeah. early on, and then that kind of that was the seed was planted. What made you set out to start a distillery at a time when craft distilling was really in its infancy? Wasn't it was a thing, but on a very minor level. No, it's not what it is now. I think it's like what uh, what a lot of people, you know, like myself, were attracted to, which mm. is I, you know, I've always had a passion for food and beverage, and you know, loved making beer, and um, you know, remain, you know, continued as a home brewer. Yeah, and and then at some point, you know, maybe you get bored enough or stupid enough in life that. <laughs> You think, oh, I could probably do that for a living. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it that that was that was pretty much the motivation, um, and uh, and just a willingness to you know dive off the deep end. Yeah, know, well, I mean, give it a try. Because back then, I don't had Koval even started yet. Yeah, Koval mm-hmm. was around. Um, uh, they were the first. Uh, they were the first distillery in the city. Oh, that's right. Because that was two thousand ten. They, I think they. That's about right. Yeah. Uh, but before them was uh, North Shore. Yeah. Um, and uh, they are the ones. They were the first uh, to open, and and really still to this day, like my heroes. I because right. they were the ones who got the law created, and they're just amazing people. Yeah, uh, it's like go back to with like um, with Goose Island. People will talk trash like, oh, they're sellouts, blah blah blah. I'm like, none of this craft would have existed without Goose Island taking the risk. What back in the early nineties, yeah, truly, to, to do it all. Like without them, not, the brewing scene, the distilling scene, non-existent. I think even the food scene too. To be honest with you. So I always give them credit for that, but no, to set out your ways to start a vodka distillery in the city when, what you have a couple other distilleries, like planting their flag and doing their thing. Yeah, and what was cool is that the time that we opened up, um, us and um, Chicago Distilling Company in Logan Square, mm. um, and Reinhall, uh, we all opened it about the same time. Right. Uh, and what was so cool is like we didn't know each other until we had all opened up, and we're like, oh, you know. Oh, really? And we all ended up doing, you know, we all ended up picking really different paths. Mm. Um, we were like vodka focused. You know, Chicago Distilling was whiskey focused, right. and Reinhall, of course, makes their beautiful brandies. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was it, it was crazy. We were probably more popular as a bar mm-hmm. originally than we were as a, you know, <laughs> as a distillery. Right, right. Uh, because that was the best place to first sell our products. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've ended up being in the hospitality business, you know, for the last almost 10 years as well. Which so, also probably wasn't a part of the plan initially. It, it, it was not, not really. And of course, you know, we thought, oh, we'll have a little tasting room. And then yeah. as soon as I hired, you know, somebody who was really great and ambitious, <laughs> she put together this whole, you know, craft cocktail program and then food came along and all kinds of stuff. What was the West Loop like back then when you first started building your distillery? So we are, we were, we are in the East West Loop. So we're in the... Yeah. East side of Halstead, right? right? So a little more quiet, but it was basically us, um, a Vec and Blackbird, Kitty Corner, yeah. um, uh, and then um, our neighbor, uh, Embea, uh, which is not there anymore, and um, and then uh, Sepia around the corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was quiet. Right. Because um, that was the beginning of the food culture really growing in Chicago. These chefs coming back from Denver, San Francisco, L.A., New York, and you know, coming back here and actually starting something they have learned and bringing that craft back to their their home ground. Yeah, and one of the really, one of the, the best things um, for me about having started a distillery is to get to work with some of those chefs right. and doing special projects. Um, I just, I, I love food and, you know, so I've, I've gotten to, you know, work with um, some of the, you know, some of just the chefs that I admire so much to make custom Amaros or... Mm gins and all kinds of stuff there's uh, you know chicago really has that hometown collaborative um thing going yeah. on you know mm-hmm. like it's easy to make friends um in the industry and and do you know like really cool stuff together yeah i always say we're one degree of separation away from each other pretty much in the industry it's like you can find somebody that knows you and connect you to that person. oh in this industry yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah we were yeah. joking the other day but it took us like three people to find a connection between me and this person i met i'm like wow that's, that's pretty rare these days in the whiskey you know service industry to have that happen to you yeah but um, no, it's, it's I ask you that question about what you know the the West Loop downtown was like because it was just starting to fill this, find this foundation of 
bars, restaurants, some of the best restaurants in the city, these programs that are being become now Michelin stars and worldwide um, destinations, not just about Chicagoans eating there, but people traveling all around the world and wanting to come to those places. And that was really when it started to grow right there. And now it's where everybody goes when they come visit Chicago. Yeah, we had to jam a distillery, a grain <laughs> bottle distillery, no less, yeah. in an old office building. Yep. Um, that was a, quite a fun adventure. How did that work out? Um, it Somehow we made it work. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Uh, so down in the basement of that building, um, we jammed in. We found one spot to put our mill and then put in a like a, a farm-style grain elevator going up to the second floor. Oh, and by the way, we had to structurally reinforce all of the pillars in the basement because we were putting in these you know tanks holding mm-hmm. you know like a thousand gallons which is very heavy and um uh yeah we jammed it all in and and what what i, I what i still love about that place is that you sit there and just you know right mm-hmm. across the glass is a whole distillery um, just right in front of you yeah um and it's uh it's just it's a neat experience to be able to just I don't know. The, the equipment's beautiful as well. Mm-hmm. No, so. I, it, it's interesting you say that. And you said that how people would come to your bar not knowing is the distillery. And I had that happen with a friend who had just moved here from New York. It's like, I heard about the CH place by me. Oh, do you want to meet for a drink there? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. It sounds good. And he's like, oh, I didn't know this was an actual distillery too. I'm like, yeah, it's not just a bar. It's a place that they actually make the product right there. And now they're serving it in your glass. Yeah. And we really, I mean, what made us, uh, and still I think makes us, um, uh, interesting and, and, and worth drinking um, is the fact that we actually care about vodka. You know, mm. vodka for us is, was never a throwaway. It was never, oh, we're, you know, making vodka while we're waiting for our whiskey. It was like, no, we're, we make a really, um, I think it's soft and gorgeous. It's my, it's, it's my favorite vodka. Mm. Um, okay. Maybe I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm a vodka guy, so I was like, let's make vodka yeah. for, for people who love vodka. Yeah, no, um, it's, like, it's like a band. Like, when you make music, aren't you making the music you hear in your head? Wouldn't, yeah. you, wouldn't you want to be a fan of your own music in that way? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is that I've never thought that, um, you know, staying on the music theme, like, you know, if you write a great song, that's awesome. You can play it for yourself and maybe for, you know, like your girlfriend. Yeah. But like, wouldn't you like to maybe get it on the radio and have a bunch of people hear it? Wouldn't that be, you know, that's selling out, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, some of my favorite musicians are sellouts, I guess. So I think we, I think they all are at this point. I don't think that word really exists anymore. (laughs) But if you make a really great vodka, for example, and you try to sell it for, you know, $60 Mm -hmm. a bottle, you're never going to get an audience. Right. And so that's why we've always tried to keep our prices really reasonable. Um, so we, you know, we just get it out to more people and Mm -hmm. that's, that's a real strong, um, ethic of ours as a company, which is to really deliver value for the dollar. Beautiful. I love that. And, you know, starting at the foundation of vodka and then you were already sourcing bourbon in 2013. Is that correct? Yeah, we bought our first MGP barrels which in 13. I know I'm completely ignorant of until about 35 minutes ago, um, which is almost a little bit mind-blowing in my in my perspective. But I also think a lot of other people out there don't know that. Speaking specifically to my friends who are in the whiskey industry, my friends who love whiskey, love bourbon, and Saul Jepson's out there, didn't give it a chance, but didn't even know the whole story behind what you've been doing now with bourbon for eight to nine years. Yeah. So we, we originally got it for the bar and then we thought, you know what, we have a, we have a nice whiskey here. Uh, we bottled it like literally the day it turned two. Um, so we could, you know, so at least it's straight, right? right? Straight with a two age, two, two year age statement. Um, and then, you know, like, young young bourbon tastes good at higher proof right mm-hmm. and so it covers up a lot of the you know the flaws so we bottled it at 105 and um and then we, we just put it out into the marketplace at this really crazy low price <laughs> because our thought was you know this is just something we get to do really on behalf of our customers you yeah. know it doesn't take a lot of effort on our part to buy a barrel and you know basically stick it in a bottle um we did we used to we did shell filter that um that bourbon because it was right a little rough yeah tyrus when did you come into play with everything here at the distillery uh i was i was part of that early process but i uh, i guess i wasn't as assertive back then i was very <laughs> new to the company uh to the distillery um but i if you want to say i took it over or jepson's whenever we started jepson's bourbon is yep. when i really 
start. I was able to do my own thing. What was your first job here? I don't know. How would you describe it? I don't know. What, what needs know. to be done, right? Yeah, right? yeah. I just, I, I wanted, my initial goal, just as a career in general, was to get my foot in the door mm. to the industry. Um, and luckily that happened in 2013. But the whole, my whole reason to getting in this industry is just I love the the camaraderie and fellowship that comes with it. Yeah. No, it's like, um, it's a lot like sports. It, that was the yeah. one thing when I, I played college football for a year and I was like, I'm done with this. I don't need Dang concussions it. every day um, or every other week, I should say. But I missed the camaraderie. Didn't miss like playing games or whatever comes with playing football. Mm-hmm. It was just like hanging out in the locker room and everything yeah. came along afterwards with that mm-hmm. built in. So this industry definitely has that feel to it as well. Completely yeah. agree. And that, yeah, that was something that I just, I always wanted. I wanted to get into brewing beer at first. Mm-hmm. Um, Who didn't in Chicago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and I just, I, in my head, I like wanted to start my own brewery. Now that I know what I know, <laughs> no, I don't ever, ever want to do that. But in my head, I was like fellowship brewing. They're like, that's what I want to start. Okay. Like, that's why I want to get in this industry is there's like, there's so much fellowship to be had. Mm. And like there, there's so much, there's a lot of negative that comes with alcohol, but there's so much good. Like Tremaine was saying, we've, I, we've been able to meet so many of Chicago's most talented artists, chefs, brewers, distillers, everything. Mm -hmm. But it gives us uh, an opportunity to meet people that you normally wouldn't be able to meet in your life. Um, And that, like, that's a big reason why I love being in this industry um because yeah we all a lot of us look out for each other Mm -hmm. and yeah it's we love seeing each other thrive well said no absolutely i I agree with that 100 percent. when did it shift then i guess from not just a focus of vodka but to bourbon becoming a part of the program so this 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 cute little number called Jepson's Malort came into our lives. <laughs> never, never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should try it. It's oh, delicious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Mezcal finish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you prefer. Um, yeah, so, um, you, you know, I started a distillery and, you know, you, you, you try, you do anything you can to get business, right? So um, I, I uh, got us on the path of doing a little bit of co-packing for some other brands, mm. you know, some small things. And, um, and so one day I just, I picked up a bottle of Malort and I looked on the back and I was like, made in Florida, like what the hell? Um, so I, uh, I, I stumbled into, uh, Patty Long's, um, one night and, uh, Sam Meckling was behind the bar and, and I had heard he was the Malort guy. The so only I Malort guy, right? Sat down with Sam and said, dude, what's the story? And he said, I'm really glad you're here because I would, I really want to try to get Malort production brought back to Chicago. And I said, well, I would love to do that. Hmm. And um, so for five years, Sam and I worked on um, Pat Gablick, who owned the company, who, um, you know, Pat, so Pat inherited the company. Pat was an absolutely wonderful lady who um, inherited the company from George Brody. George Brody was the guy who bought the recipe Hmm. from Carl Jepson right after Prohibition ended. So the legacy is Really strong. For any non-Chicago natives out there, we should probably describe what Malort is. I'm sure they've heard of it. It's a whiskey drinking podcast, a drinking podcast, but uh, there might be some unfamiliar folks with it. Uh, Malort, (laughs) if you want to talk about characteristics, close your eyes Mm. and imagine that you spray some hairspray Mm. in your mouth Mm. And then take the pith of a grapefruit and kind Mm. of just twist that and give 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 yourself a little essence of mm. grapefruit and that's that's malort i would say a slight drop slight drop of anise as well in there just a, oh okay yeah, yeah. I, I just, see a, just a little bit just a little bit <laughs> sure just for remembrance yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely for a good so, time yeah. so basically a fairy tale everybody it, it <laughs> yeah. is it's really it's like it's so hard to describe because it's so beautiful mm just the essence of yeah. it yeah <laughs> now it's with some british guys about two years ago or so right before covid and um they're in a band played a show, went out, um, 
we're having uh having a few drinks and um they're technically sponsored by jim beam technically not but you know so we're drinking jim beam all night and they're like we gotta try this malort thing i'm like all right let's do it and we have a shot of malort and i would say two of them were like i i might die um at this point and two of them were like that was pretty good and I'm like, wow, 50-50. That's, that's some good odds right there with Malort. <laughs> good for you guys. And I'm like, I haven't known these in quite a while. But um, I was like, you know what? It wasn't as bad as when I was 25. So, you know, well, a, a win. I'll yeah. give it a win that well, night. Well, you grow up. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's yeah. what happens. Haven't we, haven't we all? Your pal becomes sophisticated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You just... <laughs> <laughs> uneducated uh, when you were younger. Uh, the myth is that that Carl Jepsen himself smoked so many cigars that he had no taste buds left, and so Malort was the only thing he could drink. I <laughs> believe it. It's, it sounds plausible, right? What year that would have been? Like, yeah, well, this would have been like during Prohibition, right? Because I've heard folklore like how cops would taste it and wouldn't believe it was actually alcohol. Oh yeah, the, yeah. the feds would come by, um, and so so Carl Jepsen. Swedish immigrant came yeah. to Chicago in the late 1800s, and um, uh, Malort uh, or or Besk Brandvin is a, a traditional Northern European uh, digestive, mm-hmm. you know, wormwood has got great uh, medicinal properties, um, and uh, cures COVID. I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> actually. It's actually the vaccine. Is it too, it's not too soon to say Ma- that, right? Moderna approved. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but uh, he would sell it. He, he sold it as medicine during Prohibition. Okay. And so every now and then the feds would come along and harass him. And he'd say, well, here, you know, pour him a shot. Taste it. See, would you want to drink that? And they would, they would leave him alone. <laughs> oh, gut rock. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. So you have that conversation, um, and eventually you start the process of moving Malort back to Chicago. Well, there was a little hitch, which is that um, Patricia um, was very comfortable running the company from her apartment on Lakeshore Drive, uh, and Sam was her only employee. There's a funny story. Sam got... Sam got drunk one night, created a website, started selling Malort T-shirts, and the next day I got a cease and desist letter from okay. Patricia's lawyer. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Got called in, um, had a meeting with her, and walked out with the marketing job. And it's the only Malort employee, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, so uh, but she was very happy with the way things were going. She didn't want change. And so after five years of sort of making proposals to um, bring Malort, you know, have us co-pack it, uh, I finally gave up. Mm. And then about six months later, Sam called me and he said, in essence, um, uh, she wants to retire and she wants you to buy the company oh. from her. And so we, because when, you know, when, when uh, a nice older lady <laughs> asks you to do something, you do it. Right. Yep. So that's how Malort Be came a gentleman. to it. Yep. Yes, exactly. So that's how Malort came to us about three years ago. Okay. So, you have this delicious digestif on your portfolio now. You've been making vodka for six, seven years at this point, and you also have been sourcing from MGP, which, admittingly, you should have bought more barrels back in the day before you could have predicted what's happened now in the whiskey boom. Yeah. Yep. And now in 2000, and almost well, when people were listening, this will be 2022, which is weird to say. Um, you're selling Jepson's Jepson's as a bourbon. Yes. So I'm going to hand it over to Ty. But before that, Ty is the perfect example of a you know a, a person who set out to do something to get into the industry. Yep. And just busted his butt, was willing to do oh, whatever job uh, <laughs> that came along, and um, and then he hung in long enough. He got a reward. Oh. And the reward that this bourbon that this cool bourbon. that cool zip up right there. Yeah, Charlie's <laughs> got one too. Yeah. No, but it actually yeah. was bourbon though. Yeah. So you're running around for what three four years doing whatever. What was it now? Yeah, like five years, four and a half, five years. No, I appreciate that. No, I, I that was I, I wrote plenty of uh, free articles and took pr- funny plenty of free photos in this industry before I started getting paid. So I, I hear you, my man. <laughs> Yeah, it's been it's been good. Well, what was your initial question though? Or your so uh, we go from uh, vodka to you know sourcing whiskey, mm-hmm. aging it for two years, putting it out there. We're a bar down in Randolph, which you probably get to 
moving here as well, where we're at today in Pilsen versus how did that space, before we can get the bourbon real quick, mm-hmm. how do we get from Randolph Street to down in Pilsen now with this bigger facility? So we ran out of production capacity. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we needed to build a bigger place. And um, Pilsen turned out just to be the perfect neighbor neighborhood for us. We're sort of East Pilsen, which is still industrial. And everything's um, East something, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah. East, east, uh, east of the West Loop. Well, and I'm always like really careful with that because Chicagoans and I, I'm the same way. Yeah. Like if they say that, you know, this place is in that neighborhood, I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, yeah, but it really isn't that like Southeast Lakeview or, you know, I, know, I was just going to say, I live in yeah. Lakeview East to not Lakeview. Yeah. Get it correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I live <laughs> East of Halstead, literally 10 feet. <laughs> and Lincoln Park. What is Lincoln Park? I mean, it's the park. Anyway, I digress. So, <laughs> all the Chicagoans out there will appreciate that. We're in we're in East Pilsen, so um, which means we have industrial zoning, and we just happened to have found um, a really nice tract of land that was mm. essentially empty. Um, that was part of the old Schoenhofen Brewery, which was one of the biggest breweries in the country around the turn of the last century, um, and managed to make it through Prohibition actually by producing Green River Soda, which mm. was invented here. So, um, yeah, we found this really awesome spot and built uh, another grain to bottle distillery, this time quite a bit bigger. Right. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's at a large scale for a quote unquote craft distiller, whatever craft means these days, right? We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. There's no, we don't have to know. No, there's no ties <laughs> to it at all. Yeah, so then we're taking off from here, but then we can get into bourbon now. Your gift. Your gift. Your your reward for uh, working so hard for those My reward. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I got into it. uh, Just when we started CH Bourbon back in, what, 2015, 2016, there wasn't... The thought process behind blending was a bit different. We uh, we had a lot less barrels uh, to work with, and we just knew, knew less, I guess. Um, but yeah, 2020, late 2019, early 2020, uh, we decided to start Jepson's bourbon and like what you were saying about compare, uh, comparing the product that you release to a record or music that you produce, you're like, yeah, if I like it, you know, other people will like it. But I, me being a consumer first of bourbon who just really enjoyed it and learned from people who had been drinking longer than I have. Mm. I knew what I liked, but I also know what the general public likes and what they want. Um, So what I like is a high-proof bourbon, not cut, that just gives you a lot to work with. You could cut it if you want, but it's got a backbone. Mm. Um, But... What people want is some is something smooth, something that you could make into a great old fashioned. Um, but I also wanted something that you could drink neat. So I started tasting many, many barrels. How many barrels did you guys have at this point? A few hundred here okay. in our possession. I so think. collecting a good stock over yeah. the years. We had a good amount. Um, and I think the first batch was around 95 to 100 barrels or okay. so. Um, so it took a while. It, it took a, f- a couple months, I think, of blending many, many different batches. I've got a large <laughs> graveyard of just samples of, that I've tasted through. Do you have a notebook of all these notes of each I barrel? I did. Okay. Um, but a- after going through so many barrels, I notes are only good until you use that barrel and right, then it's right. nothing anymore. Right. And so if it's still in the barrel, how's it changed? Stacks of paper. <laughs> and then yes, when you revisit a barrel three months later, it could taste completely different. Right. Um, so now I just taste more frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, so going, yeah, going back to how we started, I just, I went, I blended to my palate, but also anticipating what, the general public would want mm-hmm. in a bourbon as well. Um, 50% was a or 100 proof, 50% ABV was a great landing point because mm-hmm. um, it still gives you that character, but also 
is less than barrel proof, so you could uh, you could do some things with it. So when you guys decided to do this with uh, those barrels you've had now for a few years, why not use CH and use Malort or use Jepsons? Yeah, the the decision to put Jepsons on the label was a just sheerly crass, you know, attempt to totally exploit the Jepsons name. <laughs> Let's just be frank. Mm-hmm. You know, we just oh, thought I love, yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, we were like transparency is beautiful. <sighs> Let's people know Jepsons, yeah. you know, they, they know Malort. Let's, you know, let's see if we can get them to, you know, try a good bourbon. Mm-hmm. And it, it sort of works, <laughs> but it sort of backfires on us too. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. Because the most common question, and I've gotten this from bartenders, does it have Malort in it? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be bourbon then. It wouldn't be bourbon then. Yeah. But it's a legitimate concern. Yeah. You know, like, because the label, you know, we really, we basically took the Malort label and just changed the color scheme. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of intentionally made it look kind of like a bottle of Malort. Yeah. So, but, you know, this is just, uh, you know, we're just like trying to, we're not, we're really not that great at marketing, <laughs> as it turns out. I mean, at the beginning, I <laughs> We've thought. We've got a great marketing director who's yeah. amazing, but the I rest of us. I just thought it was a good idea at the beginning because it was a cool playoff of a lot of history with Malort, but I didn't, what we didn't realize is that so many people would assume that there is a Malort factor in this bourbon <laughs> somehow. And I, un- I guess, I guess uh, I understand. Factor. <laughs> I guess I understand, but yeah, it's just purely, uh, the general public, being uneducated, and I don't say that negatively. It's mm-hmm. just uh, it, it a lot our of it's responsibility on our, to educate yeah, them. Yeah, our responsibility. Yeah, just well, you're battling make with it two known. different crowds of drinkers. You're, da- you're right. battling with people that go buy a bottle of Malort, don't care what the label says. They're there exactly. to get. They're there to get drunk and have a good time and make some funny faces. Mm. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And then you have the opposite side of that: sophisticated whiskey drinkers that read the label word for word. And, you know, they cross every T and dot every I with their own eyes by reading that label. Yeah. And they will know when something is mistaken or flawed or distilleries try to hide something and not being completely transparent. So yeah. you're battling with those two crowds. I would say I was in the latter of the crowds. Um, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too. In the latter of the crowds, you'll get called out immediately right. if and when you mess up. So that's in a in a sense that's what I like about it is when that latter crowd actually tries Jepson's bourbon or one of our single barrels and they start talking about it in in a positive light yeah, then yeah. I'm like yes yeah. this is what we were going for but the our <laughs> our uh crowd is very split on what they think mm-hmm. What was the CH crowd before this came out? What would you say the typical CH drinker, who were they? Uh, so CH vodka and, you know, and gin. Our, our, our best market has always been bartenders. Okay. Um, who appreciate the quality, who appreciate, you know, like of the vodka, you know, just knowing that most people don't really, you know, taste the difference between vodkas, but they're proud to serve something that is made locally and mm-hmm. made really well. And then on the Amaro side, you know, I think we've made some interesting flavors. Um, and then CH Bourbon, they were just like, that's really cool that you guys are putting out a bourbon that is, you know, it's perfectly good for the well. And um, and you're charging like a reasonable price. Yeah. So that was sort of like, that was the vibe. And we really have tried to keep that vibe with Jepson's. Um, all the Jepson's products are, I think, priced under under their their potential value mm-hmm. um and it's just because i agree you know we just re- it's that's thing get an audience man i'd rather have a bigger audience that, and making more people happy yeah you definitely know? and we'll make money in the long run so when did you release your first jepson bourbon okay you have to tell them the tank yeah story. the tank story we've been holding on to this for oh, about an hour the tank story so prior prior to our release we blended all this bourbon, and I was getting... All MGP, by the way, right? No, no. No. Uh, MGP and a, a Tennessee bourbon. Um, Undisclosed. Al- <laughs> almost blended Almost blended 50-50. Okay. Um, 
my thought process behind that was blenders blend how you want. This is just what I was given to work with and how I do things. Um, MGP to me tends to be a little sweeter. Um, has the higher notes of your caramel, vanilla, but it, what it lacks in a sense are the deep oaky notes mm. and the Tennessee barrels are huge into that. Um, so it needed some balance in my, in my opinion. Um, and when you're cutting down whiskey in general, you're going to lose some of that character that you're given if you were to pull a, a barrel proof sample or something. Um, so yeah, I wanted something a little more oaky. Um, that yeah, you like I said, we could, you could drink neat or in a cocktail or over rocks or however you want to enjoy it. Uh, I just wanted to make it as versatile as possible. Um, so yeah, so uh, close to a, so close to fifty. So you had yeah. a tank full of bourbon. So I had so that that's how he okay. did it. Um, that, so so those, that, those blends were in this tank. That was the yeah. blends. Uh, so now I'm getting ready for the first batch. Blending it, had just cut it down to the 50% ABV, 100 proof. And you have to let things recirculate to make sure that it's fully integrated and whatnot. Well, um, our tank, were they were on these little platforms because we use that tank as a scale so I could measure out things as precisely as possible. Uh, I start the recirculation process and it's gonna take a 20 minutes or so, so I get up and walk away. <laughs> hear a loud crash, I hear my name being yelled <laughs> from across the distillery. In my head, I'm like, what the hell, what's going on? What's happening right now? Come in the office, ask Tremaine, and he's like, yeah, I heard something too. We walk out, and the tank, is, we can't see the tank that was standing up however many feet, 15, 20 feet in the air. <laughs> and then as we get closer, there's bourbon everywhere. <laughs> the tank is on its side. It, it, yeah, it's just bad. There's, there's bourbon up to my calves. Oh, because the drains can't drain quickly enough. Yeah. We don't know exactly what happened. We well, think it vibrated and fell off. No, we know what happened. Know. What happened? Or I don't the, know what happened. Ghosts? The ghost of Carl Jepsen. There we go. Yeah. Pushed it over. He was like, Bourbon? 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 I don't know about that. I can't God taste bourbon. Yeah. No. <laughs> Too no, what it was is I just didn't, I didn't pour <laughs> any out because normally when you, you crack a bottle, you pour some out for your fallen. There you go. Family, friends, for for the homies. We didn't. That was. He deserved a quarter of that batch. Yep. That so he lost was, a quarter of that tank. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's fair. Fair. That's fair. Yeah. Oh. When was <laughs> he this? He deserved it. Was this after? Uh, this was March 7, 2020. It was a sign, what you're saying. That's what it was. It was yeah. a sign for yeah. things yeah. to come. We got to hurry. Yeah. <laughs> to get this out April 1st. <laughs> yeah. So the original idea was to do an April Fool's Day release, which... Yeah, thanks, I, COVID. I, I think it goes against your what you said about you being bad marketers, because that's perfect. Well, the, was. The, the, the funny We're thing about bad it marketers. is that, you know, we had, when we had talked about that in, in, uh, in the winter of 2019, we were like, oh, yeah, we'll put together mm -hmm. a whole thing. And then we kind of had a thing put together, and then we're like, oh. And then, of course, what happened was that as soon as we put it out, we t actually almost essentially forgot it was because April Fool's Day that year was just kind of like, who cares? It wasn't like, it funny, you know. No, COVID. but all of a sudden, there's all these people out there like, "This is an April Fool's joke," mm -hmm. you know, Jepson's bourbon. So, <laughs> so you still went out there and released it on April first. Yeah, and it yeah. and uh, it was a hit right away. Um, it's done. It's as uh, and it's a better bourbon than we were able to 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 do under the CH brand, but it's okay. it it way outsells anything that CH, um, you know, the CH version of it ever did, and that's largely because um, Tyrus has put together a really delicious blend. Our price point is fair, um, and what's cool is that you know and, and you know you sort of you find your way right, right as the market tells you 
what what you what they're looking for. So we started getting um, almost right away. We started getting uh, stores asking us about single barrel, hmm. and so I said to Tyrus, uh, "How do you do that?" <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "Dude, I taste through all these barrels. I know which ones are the best." Right. Yeah. So when you initially were using. Um Dickel, if I can say that, mm-hmm. and or just close that. No, I'm sorry, you can't say that. Okay, I won't say it ever again. <laughs> can't say. <laughs> won't say it ever again. Dickel is dead to me. Yeah, dead to us all. And MGP for that first stock. Are you still using Dickel or just MGP for for blending for the blend for batches? Yeah. Yes, we are. We are. Are there Dickel single barrels available? Mm. They're they're available, but it, it like I said, going back um, to my blending. There are a lot of, there are many misconceptions about Dickel because mm-hmm. tons of people in the bourbon world that drink bourbon think that Dickel tastes a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. It's characteristics. Are, yeah, there are. There are. But so does our shelfie bourbon. So does this person's shelfie bourbon. So does this distillery's bourbon. But when it comes down to single barrels, just like, just to be cheesy, just like people, we're all like unique. Mm-hmm. So if you choose a good one, man, it's different than the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, they are available, but there there are a lot that just avoid it because of that, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I probably put off trying it for five months. I saw it out there. I sell whiskey. I knew... I, well, I thought I knew where it was coming from. I thought it was all MGP sourced. I'm not sure where I read that. The The trades misled me, I guess. Um, but I'm here to correct that now out there with this dumb little podcast. The truth. Yeah, the truth. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We speak the truth on this podcast. Um, but I saw it as, okay, cool. Um, this brand that was something is now doing something different. They were known for the shots, the Malort face, the child handshake, all that great stuff that comes around with drinking in Chicago. You know, and friendship and community too at the same same time. Now they have a whiskey. They're putting MGP barrels into a bottle that has their label on it. What are we supposed to do with that in the whiskey industry? <laughs> okay, cool. Another, Fair question. Another another MGP whiskey. <laughs> and as we were talking earlier, before we turn the microphones on, people out in the whiskey industry, if they were sourcing whiskey, they they hid not hid, but they wouldn't be very vocal about that. They they were sourcing it. There's only certain brands like the Blum Bros we were talking about. Um, being out there, being bold-faced in like a jokingly matter about where they're getting this whiskey. Obviously, there's people like Templeton that have had their own troubles and disputes with what they were doing with their whiskey and claiming where it came from. Now, on the shelves, you see brands that will say MGP whiskey as mm-hmm. a necktie, as a shelf talker right there. Not yeah. afraid. Like three or four years ago, that wouldn't have existed. Five yeah. years ago, hell no, no way whatsoever. But now it's some, uh, MGP is a source of pride when it comes to, because everybody, totally. everyone's yes. becoming more sophisticated. We're turning those Malort drinkers into not necessarily whiskey drinkers, but more educated drinkers. And they know that MGP is producing some of the best whiskey in America, some of the best whiskey in the world. In the it shouldn't, world, be, yeah. shouldn't be a flaw. It shouldn't be um, a, a negative connotation to go along with your brand if you're using MGP whiskey. Well, that's the thing, too. If you don't know about MGP, all you see on the back of some of our single barrels is Indiana. Mm. If you're ignorant to the fact who wants bourbon from Indiana (laughs) who, like, doesn't know anything about bourbon. Right. It's like it should come from Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Like, no, you just don't know. You're one state too north. These guys guys right next to us are doing some really good things in Indiana. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so what I'll say is with a lot of oh, our single yeah. barrels, people that know buy them up, buy up our single barrels because it's a five and a half year, six year MGP single barrel. Yeah. And we charge the, or not we, retailers charge what, what sub $40 Definitely. for it. And it's, as a consumer, it, it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and that's how I came in um, contact with it, actually, was through your single barrel program. Um, so it had been out in the market for probably probably at least six, seven months, I guess. It was January of this year, so or 2021, I should say. Oh, cool. Um, I was out at Gold Eagle to do just a little bit of a sales call. I think they were going to taste some single barrels that day. I can't remember exactly what I was doing out there. 
but uh, Chris was the appointment before me, one of your sales reps, and he had like 12 Malort or Jepson's bourbon uh, bottles right in there. And Jake, the owner, one of the owners of uh, Gold Eagle, was asked me, he's like, do you want to try? And I'm like, you know what? I've been putting this off for a long time. Um, if I'm gonna talk, if I'm gonna talk shit about it, to my you know, in my head about it, yeah, I'm gonna talk shit about anybody else about it because I was confused. I was like, "What do we do with this whiskey?" Honestly, that was the question I had in mind, and then I tried it, and I was more baffled <laughs> because it was good. And Sorry. I was sitting there with Wilson, who uh, who's on this podcast with me sometimes. And <laughs> when he can Wilson. make it, when he can make it, where, uh, where are you, Wilson? Wilson, Wilson. <laughs> Wilson. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the running joke. Um, we sat there, and I'm like, I'm really confused by this because it has this traditional uh, a logo on the front that we're traditionally meant to make fun of. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to have a good time with, but not ever talk about and have a conversation with what's inside the bottle. And then it's MGP. There's always conversations that come with MGP. Is it okay to use it? Is it a good thing to use it? Should you be prideful in using it or not? And then it's Chicago. It's local in a way. It's a brand. And... Overall, it tastes really good, and they're exploring Thanks. and they're exploring around with it. Oh, and then the price point is really great too. Yeah. So, how do we sell our fifty dollars single malts, our sixty dollars single malts, our sixty dollars bourbons, our forty dollars, our fifty dollars bourbons, our rice and our whiskeys out there to compete with something that's done really well, um, but just not in the curated package that we're used to? Yeah, it's a cheap bottle. <laughs> you know, helps. Helps us make a little money. Yeah. You know, and it's, I, I love that really. And I don't know if everybody appreciates it. Um, but I, I, when I, I, I will say though, when I buy a bottle of something that is in a super cool bottle, mm-hmm. um, I appreciate the bottle, but it's gotta be super cool. It's gotta be like, oh, they spent 15 bucks on just on the like bottle. Like Peerless we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like if, if you're like really presenting a beautiful object, um, and the liquid inside is pretty good. You know, like I kind of get that, but for us, we're like, let's put it in the cheapest bottle we can yeah, because it helps us keep the, you know, the, the price down. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the complete opposite. Of, They're like, not there's plastic, so are many, they? Uh, we no. would if we could. <laughs> there's so many times that you, for the uneducated, but curious whiskey or bourbon drinker. And I've done this with beer many a times. How many times do you buy or make purchases based on the bottle and how it looks and how many times have you been disappointed Mm, more times than not for me personally. So just how I, I live in general, I'd rather give you a not so nice bottle so I could give you quality inside and still charge you less than the general public or what it normally should cost. Right. I love Um, that. That's much more important to me. Personally, well, I think that's great, and I, I I love that ethos and that foundation to be selling whiskey upon because it should be out there for the masses. But let's get into uh, what we've been talking about here for a few minutes now: the single barrel program. Um, and we just poured a single barrel from you guys, which is from Indiana. Indiana it says it right there on the right. back. So is the idea to basically use these honey barrels? You something you you find to be honey barrels? You have a high rating of to be all of your single barrels. Um, so what I, I, I guess what I do a little differently than most distilleries and I can do this because of our size, but if normally when you come in to pick barrels, I will pick certain barrels for you. But if you want to try more, we'll just go at it and just <laughs> drill barrels. Because one thing I won't do, I, like, I'm not going to sell you something that you aren't happy with. Right. Nor should you accept something that you aren't happy with. That a lot of these single barrel picks do, not us or whatever. Just in the grand scheme of things, a lot, a lot of these clubs or people that are able to have access to these single barrels, they'll pick one just because they have the ability to pick one, mm. not because they actually enjoy said pick. Well said. Um, and that's, do what you do, it's your prerogative, but in my opinion that, like, it's a problem because if you're 
the head or one of the organizers of a bourbon group and you you're putting your name on these things and then you release it and if your group doesn't like it then yeah you're you start to fall a little bit in terms of yeah your palate and whatnot so mm. people trust you less and less um so yeah i just like to make it how it should be how it based on flavor alone and our price point is right there so it you can try it if you want to so are there barrels that you would put back into a batch after testing them for single barrels or once you or do you have a certain number of barrels allocated for a single barrel program it's kind of something that get, it, we we talk about here <laughs> still developing there. yeah still yeah. i hear yeah. that no yeah, it's it's, de- it's based on demand too you know okay. it, yeah um we have we have a nice supply of you know sort of that four or five six year stuff and then we have a whole bunch of um, barrels that are more like two years and yeah. even you know a good chunk of new fills. So it's a little bit of that balancing act of, um, you know, we, we love selling single barrels. Um, but like Ty said, you don't want to start selling single barrels that are, you know, would be better for a blend or just not, or right. not quite ready yet. Right, because in yeah. a blend, there's barrels that, you know, have more heat to them barrels that have more sweetness yeah. to them it's the balance that finds everything that defines the characteristic of your typical blend right. your everyday blend versus a single barrel should be special it should be exceptional it should bring you back to that core product after tasting it it shouldn't be something that shies you away from the label itself at the end of the day after you taste it yes in my opinion yes I don't know. yeah wow. i agree I saw a lot of single barrels. Dude, so, that's yeah. like, that was it's my it's my, it's, it's yeah, my that's bitch. really well done. Yeah, that's really well. Uh, well you'll, you'll hear it on the Star Wars single barrel cast at some point. Um, no, but that's the, my our foundation you know, for our distillery is built on twenty three barrels to batch of um, whiskey. You know, and we'll take some of those barrels out of that batch to show what it looks like from barrel to barrel to make it consistent through diversity. And that's what you should be, I think, relying on in a single barrel program so people can taste something exceptional but something different, but at the end of the day, bring you back to that core audience or yeah. the, the core offering some from your brand. And the one we're tasting right now, I've tasted now I think three or four or five <clears throat> different bourbons, and this one is definitely the most spicy. It's the hottest, but it has these really nice, like honey intermittent flavors that kind of come mm-hmm. popping in and out of there as well at the same time. Where is this one sold at? Uh, so this is a GNS market. Oh, um, yeah. Good of, guys. Fan, yeah. fan favorite of the podcast. They, uh, they have an awesome selection of whiskeys. Yep. I won't just say bourbon. Bourbon is my, whiskey of choice <laughs> but they have a great selection of whiskeys uh, in general and just very knowledgeable they'll help you out if you have any questions yeah great 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 guys do they just buy one barrel they have had a couple okay yeah they've had a couple so does claire um, control that that claire account Claire is yes yep the head of that account Nice. One of your sales up out there. So she's the one that set this whole thing up, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. you, Claire. Yeah, yeah. thanks, Claire. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. No, what about, oh, um, right. so they actually, did they actually come to the distillery to choose their barrels? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The only, the the only samples guys. I normally send out are just out-of-state okay. um, accounts. So when a group comes in here to pick a single barrel or a store, what's that, what's that time look like? What's that adventure look like? Uh, that varies heavily. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how they're feeling. Um, there are times when it's all business. Come in, drill barrels, taste them, in and out within an hour. Really? Or so. And then there's times where we come, drill barrels, we crack a beer or two, <laughs> hang out, and get lunch. Yeah, it just it really depends. Get dinner, get breakfast um, the next day, <laughs> and that's. Again, goes along with like, yeah, we build relationships. Right. Um, and I'll, like, yeah, I'll shout out Gold Eagle and Amand when they and Benny's when they come by. They're they're by so often that we're just at this point we're friends. Mm-hmm. Is that you're no longer clients or accounts of ours. Right. Um, More than colleagues. Yeah. 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 And it's it's a good time always catching up with them too. So yeah, that. 
they vary drastically <sighs> depending, but it's always a good time. I try to make you, whoever is coming in have a have a good time. Yeah, and then usually we'll slip in a a little um, taste of barrel aged malort just mm. like we did to you earlier. yes yes yeah, yeah. Like, confuse me <laughs> all, yeah. all absolutely i don't i'm not convinced that barrel aged malort should be a thing but it is a thing how it long you been doing thing? it i, I we're, we were talking about this two like you know how like now. 2021 is right. like you know one covid year yep so i don't know it's been like three years yeah, okay. four years it's nice. three including covid it's like a whatever. chicago black yeah it's like but, a mile yeah but barrel aged malort is hilarious it's um and it, you know, and again, like we're it it costs a little bit more because it does take more work right. on our part, and barrels, you know, are not free, whatever. But can you imagine if we were like trying to <laughs> trying to charge like forty four ninety nine for a <laughs> bottle of barrel aged Malort? Somebody out there buy it. Somebody out there would buy it. One hundred percent. But one hundred percent. That would just be adding insult to injury. I don't know. I I think those mixed call barrels would make it taste a little bit better for me at the end of the day. But yeah. Mm. Yeah, I just, I love how honest you guys are about what Malort is. Like, you have the ownership of it, but you're using it to your advantage to sell whiskey. And it's like, yeah, we 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 make it now, but you know, here's what we're doing as a vodka distillery and as a bourbon blender, essentially. We're just basically having a good time. Uh, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's yeah, pretty much that's, what that's it is. That's a really good way you of know, putting it. Hang out with with good people, right? And, yeah. You yeah. Know, and and drink good and sometimes not good stuff, <laughs> but you know. I've had Cheers people you that need it all. Absolutely. I've had people that weren't friends ask me like, "Are you like, are you proud of the bourbon you put out because it's under Jepson's name or whatever?" And it's like, yeah, me personally, yeah, I can't, I can't put out something that I'm not proud of. Mm. Like, yes, it has Jepson's name under our bourbon label, but I am extremely proud of like what's out there and what's being sold. Um, so just because it has that name, that's not to say that we aren't working very hard on it. Just because Je- Jepson's Malort tastes a certain way, yeah. we work pretty damn hard to make it consistent and like you'd be give su- you it. Yeah, you'd be surprised it, how it, hard it is it's to interesting. make Malort. Yeah. Um, because Malort, you know, is a secret recipe, top secret that nobody could ever um, figure out other than um, Carl Jepson himself. Mm. But so we don't actually know how it's made. Um, I'm sorry. I digress. <laughs> I think that's a little single barrel bourbon talking, but, um, but it, it doesn't have a lot of ingredients. Right. And when, you know, it's sort of like making a, um, this is going to, this is going to be a ridiculous comparison, but it's sort of like making consomme, hmm. like, because it, it really just has a few ingredients. If you don't make it perfect, it really can go wrong. On right. you. And, and there's, there's bad Malort and then there's the right Malort. Okay. So getting like the that. getting to the right Malort is is it took us a while to get there, and <laughs> we te- we do taste test every single batch. It was how long did it take for us <laughs> to actually make our first batch? Because oh. we were testing for a while. Yeah, you almost, have the recipe um, correct. Yeah, but it was not when we you know made we a test our, batch right away with that recipe, and we're like. Mm, Nope. Really? We yeah. have our And recipe. nothing, like, nothing, you know, like, devious or anything. It mm-hmm. was just sort of it had drifted, and um, nobody had exactly written it down. and Driftless molars. <laughs> that was fine. Okay. So we just kind of started from scratch and rebuilt it. And, Interesting. Um, yeah. And, it, but I'm telling you, it's it's really crazy how, so we are actually, my point in saying all of this is we are really proud of Malort. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We think Malort is an exceptional product. And, but more than that, it's part of Chicago, mm-hmm. you know? And so we really carry the responsibility of the cultural significance of Malort, um, which Gosh, that really sounds pretentious, but um, no, I think it's right. But though. people Important. care about. Yeah. Right. I care. I <laughs> yeah. care about yeah. Malort. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm I I'm a Malort so. drinker. I, I, I you know, I, I'm not. But I get offended when people are like it tastes like shit when you're outside of Chicago. I'm like, no, no, actually, it's okay. Well, okay, it does. But what you don't like shit? Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. No, I, I, I honestly, I got into like not a little bit of an argument about it. Nothing too crazy. But what I also do. So thank you. Before I, uh, I will start that um, with this conversation real quick. I actually bring Malort with me on every trip when I visit my accounts outside of Chicago, outside of Illinois, because bartenders want Malort that they can't get in their market. 
Would you like a little Malort with your Star Wars whiskey? Uh, here you go. So, yeah, I actually uh, coax bartenders into buying my whiskey with Malort. Yeah, that's amazing. You're welcome. It's the Australian yeah. Chicago connection. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very strong. Very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Mostly very strong. No, I, I hear you on that. Um, and thinking back to the bourbon, you guys are doing a lot of finishes with it too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how'd that all start yeah, that, off? Uh, how did that start? Um, Find some barrels in the street. No, it was. Uh, we were in Portland. No, if I, yeah, if I'm just being completely honest, it. Where all great consumer, ideas start. As a consumer, I was a big fan of Joseph Magnus's bourbon, their cigar blend, mm-hmm. um, and what that is is a blend of different finished bourbons. Shout out to Nancy Fraley. Oh yeah, she is Legend. one of the best. In, in my heart, she is the best blender. Yeah. Uh, she's amazing. Um, but just, yeah, I briefly talked to her, but just, like, what she does is very inspiring. Very inspiring, and the flavors that she comes up with is insane. So, yeah, that's where it all started. And it, it was something like she – I'm not the biggest fan of Sherry, mm-hmm. but – what sherry casks do to bourbon, I love. Yeah. It's insane. It's something that I wouldn't expect. But, damn, yes, I have been inspired by her yeah. to, uh, yeah, take risks and kind of figure out what certain things, certain barrels, certain finishes do to bourbon. I agree. No, I think she might be the most unknown, underrated legend in our industry that the consumers Beast. don't know about yeah like just it just every how many brands she has helped out how many people she's turned yeah. into blenders of their own to help find that that right taste for your individual distillery mm-hmm. is so impactful can't even start so yeah it's a whole podcast in itself trying to get yeah. trying to get her yeah, on she by the way. could oh my gosh yeah, yeah no but are you doing uh single barrels that are finishes as well yep okay uh so i guess not uh a lot of them not true, quote-unquote, single barrels because I blend a... Yeah. Fill a single barrel. I've done a couple sh- straight transfers where they are, yes, true single barrels finished and whatever. Um, but, yeah, I started... When we first started Jepson's Bourbon, I started with sh- sherry casks um, and finished. That's the one that turned me around. So uh, good. I was like, it, God damn it. I was very, I was <laughs> very Begr- proud. Begrudgingly, I'm like, it's good. What, it's damn it. Uh, that turned hate it when that happens. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. I spend that more money on whiskey awesome. now. <laughs> uh, so now I have cognac and port. Um, some cognac is out in the markets. If you're local, you could go to Binnie's. I think they still have some on the shelves. Um, port should be ready around mid-January, mm. February, depending on what flavor profiles you want. Um, and then I'm getting more sherry in January. So, yeah, we're, we're excited about the future. Um, and with different finishes, I would love to do a blend, like a cigar blend. But, damn, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I've, I've been playing around with stuff, and that that just shows you how good there are levels to things in everything in life and mm. yeah Nancy's just on a different level she's a beast in the best of ways possible she's awesome agreed um, agreed so yeah stuff like that i i'm just like very interested in just creating new flavors with this whole craft thing and i hate that getting thrown around so mm-hmm. much but just being more open-minded about different flavors that you normally wouldn't do. Um, and you see that a lot with beers and what's cool about the whole beer and bourbon meshing together, beer blenders, beer blending is a thing now. Barrel age blending beers huge thing, is yeah. huge, yeah. huge. And that wasn't really if a whole festival built around thing, it. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't really a thing eight years or whatever yeah things goose island and stuff it, yeah it we've come a long way in the past decade in terms of fla- flavors in beer and whiskey it's it's been crazy so more trial and error to come from jepson's bourbon yeah 
Yes, yes, yes. Not afraid to make a mistake. No. And still drink it. I think it's a good place. <laughs> no, I'll drink it. I think it's a good place yeah. to end right there. Yeah. I love that quote. Um, yeah. And we are approaching Christmas just hours away. So uh, yes. I don't want to hold everyone. you guys up too long. So, But I appreciate your time. Thanks for the hospitality. This has been Thanks awesome and delightful. Thanks for having us. Glad we got it finally set up. Uh, Claire and I were talking about it for a while. So. Sorry she couldn't be here, but maybe next time she can yeah. join us. Maybe not during, like, the day before Christmas or two days before Christmas, whatever it is right now. <laughs> it's worked out. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's guys. been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more, and um, hopefully we can do it again here soon. Yeah. Right on. Awesome, guys. Well, for everybody out there, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you had a happy holidays because I think this will be after Christmas when this oh, comes yeah. out. Um, yeah. But we'll see. The <laughs> magic of the, happy We're holidays. living in a time warp right now, so who cares at all, right? COVID. Yeah. All right. Time warp bourbon. <laughs> That's the next label right there. There we go. There we go. Single barrel uh, call out right there for your name for that. So go out there, uh, buy some Jepsons, um, buy some CH as well, and uh, don't forget about Malort. Never, never, never. Can never forget about it. Thanks, guys. Always in the back of your taste buds. (laughs) Cheers, guys.